Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this evening to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, which is entitled to the chief musician, a psalm or song of David. And I would direct your attention to the third verse. Our text this evening is Psalm 68 and verse 3. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. It goes on in verse 4, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Yah, and rejoice before him. Joy. Joy is a simple three-letter word familiar to every English-speaking person, even children. But what exactly is it? What is joy? And that is not as easy as many people might think, because it is not just a, a passing, pleasing sensation, which is what many associate with the concept of joy. And yet we open our Bibles, and the Bible is full, full of joy. We have the Psalms here in front of us, and the Psalms brim with joy. After all, it is the book of praise. It's a book of praise unto, unto God. And so in these 150 Psalms, we have several dozen references to the word joy, joyous, joyful, and so on. And then you can add to that, of course, the words gladness and words rejoicing, and, and it becomes multiplied many more full. And so we're interested in this concept of, of joy. The believer we know has joy. The person who is truly converted, born of God, has joy. And yet the experience of that joy does not require us to know how all of its components fit together. We can have joy, experience joy, without exactly understanding all that, uh, that it entails. It is helpful, however, and it aids our clarity, I think, to break things down uh, in order that we might understand something of the, the inner logic, if you will, and the correlations that we find within joy as the Bible describes it to us. And so, with the Lord's help this evening, we're going to wade at least a little bit into those waters and try to gather uh, from the Lord's Word some of the basics to help give us parameters and orient us to understanding better uh, what spiritual joy really is. So we're here in Psalm 68, and you'll know the psalm well. Um, it's a psalm that speaks about God going out uh, before his people. He's with them. He's before them. He's, in fact, fighting for them, we're told. He's manifesting his presence in the midst of them. He's destroying their enemies, scattering them. He's delivering his people. And it describes many things about who Christ is and what Christ will do. This is, of course, quoted for us uh, in the New Testament scripture, the, uh, the book of uh, or Psalm 68 is, that is. And in the midst of that, we have this reference, not only here, but elsewhere in the psalm, to the righteous, that is, those who are the Lord's people, those who are converted, who are in a state of grace in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the call for them to rejoice. And so we're going to note three things this evening 
as we reflect on this question, what is spiritual joy? And we begin, first of all, with the nature of joy, the nature of joy. And we're going to touch on especially one uh, important element of what spiritual joy is, not exhaustively, but at least one important element. You'll notice the text says, let the righteous be glad. It tells them to rejoice. Indeed, it tells them to exceedingly rejoice. End of verse 4, they're to rejoice before the Lord. And so here we have the believer um, rejoicing in the Lord, the believer rejoicing unto the Lord, the believer rejoicing before the Lord. So we're, we're, we're gaining our bearings al already, that it is, it is in the Lord and, and unto the Lord and before the Lord and, and more. And so this helps us to make our first uh, point of clarification or distinction, because we can, we can think of what we might call happiness. And happiness is determined by outward circumstances. Happiness, or you can use another word if you like, is something that is natural, natural to all people. So if the circumstances are appropriate and attractive and welcoming and pleasing in one way or another, people feel a measure of happiness about the circ outward circumstances in which they find themselves. But joy, biblical joy, is not determined merely by our outward circumstances. And that is because spiritual joy is supernatural. It is something that is above nature, something that is beyond the common experience of men and women, boys and girls, generally. It is supernatural, unlike what we're calling happiness. And it, you can appreciate something, at least in our English language, and I use this more for illustrative purposes than anything else. But, but the etymology of the word happiness, our English word for happiness, is connected to what we also refer to as happenstance, right? Happenstance or, you know, chance circumstances. Indeed, the word hap, right, H-A-P, means fortune. And so we have, all, we have several English words derived uh, from that, referring to fortune. To be happy is to enjoy fortunate circumstances, if you will. So children, if mama says that you can have a milkshake, you know, you feel happy about that. Or if you learn from your boss that you're going to have a promotion or an increase in your salary or something, you're happy. Or you come out of a season of sickness and you feel happy to be relieved of all of the anguish that was associated with that sickness. I'm not insisting that we use the word happiness in that way because the word has, has developed and now we use it more broadly and we use it in a lot of different contexts, which is appropriate. We'll refer to happy Christians, you know, in terms of being blessed. I'm not saying that's inappropriate, but I'm saying that the word, the, the derivation of the word helps us to begin to see the difference between merely our pleasing sensations in response to outward circumstances and biblical spiritual joy, because joy is different. And it's different chiefly because the source is different, as we'll see more in, in a moment. Joy is something that is felt. That's true. So joy is not something merely cerebral. It's something that is experiential, something that includes our mind, 
but it's something that's felt. There is intense pleasure that, is, that accompanies joy, but it is deeper than just feelings. It's deeper than just feelings or emotions. It is at the root, at the core of the believer's being. It is actually underneath their disposition, if you will. So it's something deeper, something more substantial. So I'm afraid that so many think of joy as a light thing, as something that's flighty and something that's, uh, you know, tenuous even. And we think of joy as coming and going and whatever. And if we're thinking biblically, we should think of, of joy as something heavy, something substantial, something solid, something that's deeper uh, than, than merely our, our you know, transitory feelings and so on, something that's underneath all of that. And this is why, this helps you understand why, the reason why, that joy can be had simultaneous to other elements that you would think as contradictory to joy. And so we sing in Psalm 2 about the fact that we are to rejoice with trembling, that, that these two things can actually and do actually, should actually uh, go together. Or you think about joy in the midst of painful trials. The trials aren't evaporated by joy. The pain is still felt. It's still real. The trial is still heavy, and yet it can be interwoven with genuine spiritual joy. These things go together, and you can actually see this at times, even registering on the countenance of a person, right? They're, they're, perhaps you've seen a, a godly person, and they're, they're in the midst of a lot of pain, and the pain features on their face, right? It's something that's real. It's there. You can see uh, the, the furrows and the, the various uh, manifestations of that pain. And yet it's accompanied by a glow. And there's joy that beams through it all, both in the same time, in the same place, in the same person. And it's because joy is something deeper and bigger. That's partly because the very nature of joy is tied to its object. And the object of joy is always the Lord himself and what flows from or comes from the Lord. And so the Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We have that in the Psalms. We have David quoting it, or we have uh, Paul quoting it rather, quoting David in, in places like Philippians 4. We're to rejoice in the Lord, or we, we speak about having joy in God. We're to have joy in God. What that means is that there is no true joy apart from him. There is no true joy outside of the Lord. It doesn't exist. It's impossible. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us because you think of other virtues that we uh, associate with joy sometimes or accompany joy. You think for faith, for example. Right? Faith is, saving faith is faith in the Lord. Right? People talk about well, you, you know, you need to have faith in yourself. You need to have faith in the process of what's unfolding, that it'll all work out and so on. And what they're doing is they're, they're speaking gibberish at that point. Right? They're speaking gibberish. I mean, we understand the words, but they don't actually make sense. 
in the end. Because if we're using faith in terms of saving faith, real, true saving faith, it is always in Christ alone. Saving faith is in Christ alone. There are counterfeit faiths, right? You have historic faith, temporary faith, and so on. But saving faith is in Christ alone. We could say the same thing about hope, right? We have hope in the Lord. We have confident expectation, not in ourselves, not in other people, not in our circumstances, not in other things, but that confident expectation is rooted, grounded, hangs upon the Lord alone. So too with joy. Joy is something that is found in the Lord himself. This is the nature of joy. It's wrapped up in its, in its object. And so consequently, only the person who is truly converted can have joy. You know, the Bible says that the unbeliever is without hope and without, without God, without hope in this world. You could say the same thing, that being without God means they are without joy in this world. That the person who is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ actually has never, ever has the experience of spiritual joy. What a miserable condition to be in. Yes, they may experience the, the sensations of being happy, if I can use that word. You know, they may have a measure of alacrity, but they will have no joy. And if that's you this evening, the Lord is coming and unveiling and diagnosing this. He's, he's showing you not only uh, who you are, but the consequences of who you are. And he's saying, you, you have the prospects of a life now and in the years that follow, a life completely devoid of true joy. A person who has been born into this world, passes through this world, leaves this world without ever having experienced joy. And this ought to alarm us. This ought to arouse within us pity. And for those who are unconverted, it ought to, it ought to cause you to be aroused with a sense of, of, of alarm and need. There's no joy outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no joy that can be found severed from him. And so the nature of joy is not, not connected to just merely our circumstances, the, those, those warm uh, sensations that we feel, the pleasures that we enjoy with regards to the, the, the fleeting things of this world. It is something that is, has as its object the Lord himself. It is joy in Jesus, if you will. But then that brings us secondly to the source of joy. And this comes, flows very naturally from what we've just seen about the nature of joy. What is spiritual joy? Well, we need to understand its source. The origin is outside of us. When we think of joy, we think of that's, that's me, that's in me, that's something I have, it's something that I possess or I'm experiencing or someone else does. But we need to start by recognizing the origin is outside of us. It does not begin with us or, or in us. And that is because the source, follow me, the source is the object. The two are the same. The source is in the object, in God himself. We said that the object of joy is the Lord himself. And so joy is something that is derived from him as well as something that is directed to him. So what do we have that we haven't received? We're deriving it from him through gospel grace, and we are directing it to him by gospel grace. And so the source is 
the triune God, the sources, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the source of joy, where we, where we get it. And so you think, for example, children even know, you know, you can turn in your New Testament scriptures to Galatians chapter 5. And you'll know immediately, you know, by the reference, oh yes, that's the place where we have the fruit of the Spirit listed, or one of the places where the fruit of the Spirit listed. And sure enough, joy is listed. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is to say that it is of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit to convey joy and to produce joy within the soul. And so it's coming from outside of us. God the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing it, conveying it to us, and producing it in us. And as a consequence, there's something very mysterious about that, isn't there? Right? It's, we're speaking about the ministry of the Spirit. And so there, there is a mysterious element. for. And so, you know, Peter has to use language like in 1 Peter 1, you'll know the language well, where he speaks of joy unspeakable. Something mysterious. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not just a taint of glory, right? It's joy that is unspeakable, undescribable. You can't articulate it. You can't get words wrapped around it. And it is absolutely brimming full of glory. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings the joy as a fruit to, to his people. But you know that the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and shows them to us. You know that, that the Holy Spirit is conveying the things of Christ to the believer. You know that his, his, his ministry is to apply all that Christ is and all that Christ has done uh, too efficaciously to the heart and soul of his people. And so ultimately we're speaking about joy that is in Christ because it is joy that comes from Christ. Right? It is the Lord's people who are abiding in him. He himself is the infinite reservoir of joy. And as we by faith are brought into union with Christ and as we abide in him, we receive from him and, it, and joy flows from him to us. And so Christ is the source as well. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that he points from himself to the Father. And says the Father, the things that the Father hath hath shown me, these I have revealed unto you, right? And the Father is the one who's chosen a people uh, for Himself and sent forth the Son to redeem them, and so on. And so the Father too is is a source of joy. But thinking of Christ, it's of His fullness that have all we we all received, and grace for grace. Right? This is a good that that passage in John one is one worthy of coming back to. Constantly, it's of his fullness, of Christ's fullness, that all we have received, and grace for grace. And so what does the Lord tell his disciples? You'll remember in that upper room discourse how this comes out again and again. He says in John 15, verse 11, for example, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy, my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And so it's actually the joy of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that is put into the believer. And as a consequence, their joy is enabled to be full 
having received of his, of his own fullness. Again, chapter later in chapter 16, verse 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, asking ye shall receive, that your joy, your joy, may be full. And so it's no wonder to us then that everything associated with the Lord Jesus Christ brings with it joy in its wake. You know, to hear the gospel, to hear the gospel preached, and for a soul to be given ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to receive and understand the gospel that is being preached. What is that gospel? That gospel is good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we sing in Psalm 89, several Psalms later, in verse 15, blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Blessed are these people. This is true blessing to know the joyful sound, to hear the sound of the gospel being proclaimed and brought home to our own ears. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and we're right there on the cusp of the opening of the New Testament. And after all of 4,000 years, the promised seed of the woman has come and he's born in Bethlehem and so on. And the angels appear in heaven to a group of shepherds. And what do they tell them? Well, among other things, they tell them, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Unto us, a child has been born. Right here, the Messiah has come. This is the best of all news. And it is joyful, it's a joyful sound. It's joyful news because it is revealing and conveying to us something of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the believer, the source of joy is joy in Christ. You think of how this comes out in various psalms. One, perhaps one of the better known places is in Psalm 16 at the end, the last verse, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. It's in the presence of Christ that we find fullness, right? Filled all the way up to the brim and overflowing of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is joy that is to be found in Christ. And so, okay, hearing the gospel, that's a source of bringing joy because it's bringing us the message of Christ. For the believer, coming and assembling in the public worship of God, uh, going into the, the privacy and seclusion of our own closets, to get down on our faces with an open Bible and to commune with Christ, to be brought into his presence in prayer. These are the places where we would expect to have fullness of joy because we are in the presence of the one who gives joy and to whom to know is, is joy. And so his word, his word is not just like pulling a book, however good, off of your shelf and reading it, right? It's the living Word of God, it's quick and powerful and so on. It's all of that true. But you'll remember what the prophet said. His word was found and it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. O thou Lord God of hosts. Why? Because we're coming to the word of God and we're hearing the voice of Christ. Right here we're having communion with Christ in the reading of his word, the preaching of his word, the singing of his psalms. We're having communion with the living Christ. And so to be in his presence, 
to hear his voice, to be able to behold him by faith through the mirror of Holy Scripture. His word is joy. It is the joy and rejoicing of our hearts. And so is it any wonder <clears throat> that the psalmist is saying, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. It's no wonder that he associates joy with the word of God. Because it's all derived from Christ. It's all coming to us from Christ. Salvation is joy. It's the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more miserable than sin. There is no burden that is heavier than guilt. There is no ugliness that is worse than the, than the stains and putrefying sores and defilement and uncleanness of sin. And so when the Lord comes, Christ comes by the Spirit, and he brings salvation to a soul, what's happening? That unbearable burden is being lifted, right? There is pardon that's granted. That guilt, which, which was uh, so tormenting, and the conscience, which is, is tormented, is relieved. And the pardon and forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit indwelling his people and imparting that grace to them, it produces joy. And so there's nothing more joyful than the Christian who's been liberated from the condemnation of sin. There's nothing more joyful than being given access into the favorable presence of God. There's nothing more joyful than being able to, whatever else is going on in life, to know I'm out of hell and will be forevermore. And that despite all the difficulties of this life, the prospects of what lies ahead is sinless, perfect, glorified humanity in the presence of the Lord with infinite joy. This is the salvation of God. This is what the unconverted do not have. This is what the unconverted cannot have apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. For the person who says, I'm good and good is good enough. And who refuses to hear what the Lord says, you're not good and it's not good enough that you're a sinner and that you've provoked God through the wickedness of your own everything in your being and that there's only one who can save. This is what's so desperately needed. What does the believer have? They have a life described in verse 19 of Psalm 68. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. This is the believer's life, daily. That means that all that he provided yesterday wasn't enough, and last week wasn't enough, that we didn't exhaust it, that we didn't expend all that he's given to us, because with every new day, he loads us, right? He loads us down. He overwhelms us with benefits as the God of our salvation. No wonder the believer's life is that characterized by joy. And so Christ says, my joy, my own joy is going to be in you. It's not just that the Lord has joy, Christ, the Redeemer, the God-man has joy, and we end up with some joy as well. No, no, we end up with his joy, right? It's through union with him, and as I've, I've noted this before on another occasion, but in this life, 
the Christian has Christ's joy in us, if we're a believer. But the wonder of wonders is that in heaven, that's reversed. And he says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So in this world, Christ's joy in us. In the next world, we are plunged into his joy. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. The way I described it last time I said it to you is this. Children, think of having a, a cup of water. Right? You can take a glass of water and you drink that water. Now the water is in you. That's one thing. You have that picture. Now go, to the, go down to Charleston and get on a boat. And go 100 miles into the ocean. To where you're way out in the deep. You can stand on the edge of that boat and jump into the Atlantic Ocean. And you're plunged, immersed into the ocean, surrounded by untold billions of gallons of water. Now you are in the water. And that's the picture that the Lord's giving to us about, about what's to come for the believer. And so there is the source of joy. The source of joy is found in the Lord. Thirdly, the experience of joy. We said that the origin is outside of us. However, the substance is inside of us. It comes from without, but it comes to us within. And so the experience of, of joy, Christ's joy is worked into the soul by the Holy Spirit. And there is this deep current, which then bubbles up, as it were, to the surface. It never begins at the surface, but it is a deep current that emerges, bubbles up, as it were, into the experience of the Christian. The fact is that if you seek joy as an isolated end in itself, you'll never get it. If you seek joy as an end in itself, you'll never get it. Now, joy comes as the result of exercising faith in Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that we have joy and peace in believing. There's joy and peace in believing. So you, you know, at one level you think, okay, then it's a fruit of faith. It's, it's part of what's associated with faith. It comes from faith. But if we just stopped there, then we would think of, okay, faith as its own entity, you know, somehow producing joy. And that would be wrong. Because faith is faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ. And so the focus is Christ. And the focus must be Christ by the Holy Spirit. So that faith sees and faith lays hold of and faith receives Christ. And then in having Christ, we get joy as, as a result. And so the experience of joy comes, obviously, through the gospel and through receiving Christ in the gospel and laying hold of Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. But that experience of joy doesn't stay there, nor is it ever stagnant. So Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 speaks of the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength. This reinforces what I said at the beginning. You know, don't think of joy as a light thing. Right? Joy is something substantial. Joy is something that is significant. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
It's something that imparts power, something that imparts might, strength, the joy of the Lord. Now, you know, in English, we can, we can do this, right? We have, we can say, uh, well, he's the son of so-and-so. He's the son of John. Or you can say, he's John's son. Two ways of saying the same thing, right? For those of you who are learning Greek, there's some learning Greek here. With the genitive, we do that, don't we? We can say, John, uh, the, the son of John, or we can say John's son. So here, the joy of the Lord, we're speaking about the Lord's joy. Right? We're speaking about the, the Lord's joy is our strength. How is it exactly that joy imparts strength in our experience of joy? How does it, how does it in fact impart strength to us? Well, there's many ways in which this can be teased out. But we're buoyed up, joy by joy, we are buoyed up with an inner uh, fundamental core strength. You think of verse 28 of our psalm, thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. That's an interesting verse in its own. The Lord, because it's saying thy God hath commanded thy strength. Who can resist God's command, children? Who is able to repel God's command? Who can turn God's command back? Can God command anything and it not come to pass? The answer is no. God's, God's command is irresistible. He actually commands our strength. He commands that strength be conveyed to us so that we can say, strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. So we're, we're buoyed up with this, this core strength. And it's seen, for example, where we might think of weakness. So when are we weak? Well, obvious example would be trials. And so you think of how often this comes up in association with trials. Second Corinthians 7 verse 4, Paul says, I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation." This makes no sense to those outside of Christ. I am not just bearing up, making it, squeaking by, have a little joy. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. You think back to that passage I said it earlier in 1 Peter 1. Earlier on it says in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be. You're in heaviness through manifold temptations. You go to the book before that, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. One more example from 1 Peter in chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, though some strange thing, hap though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And then he goes on. Really, you can read straight on through to verse 19 in what, in what follows on the same theme. And so joy, actually, the experience of joy conveys core strength, spiritual strength to the Lord's people. Right? Joy is able, so we think of trials, joy is able to see through them. 
Joy can see through the trials. It doesn't just see what sits on the surface. It's able to perceive something behind it, right? It can, it can see a, a lot of things. It can see, among other things, that God is actually being glorified right now. Well, there's nothing that should make the Christian more happy than to know that somehow, somewhere, God is receiving glory. And if the Lord is getting glory in and through me, in the circumstances in which I find myself, that does convey to the Christian a sense of not just purpose, but a sense of joy. But joy also sees above the trials, not just through them. It can see where all of this is going, as you just saw from 1 Peter 4. It sees that the believer will be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that too brings joy, right? We, we, we read in Isaiah 35 that everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And so the believer knows, they see by faith, they know with certainty through the revelation God's given that there is limitless, infinite, unbounded joy that is in their future. And there's no curtailing it. There's no reversing it. There's no way going back to what was. But there's only the expansion and increase of that joy. So what's happening to the believer is that Christ's joy by the Spirit is being given to the believer. And in terms of at the level of our experience, there is here the joy of anticipated joy. That's a real thing. Right? You know it in your common experience, even with things that make you happier or whatever else. You, you know, if the children know that they're going to get a milkshake in an hour, they're happy right now before they ever get the milkshake. They're happy at the prospects of getting the milkshake. If you know that you're going to be going on vacation to see family, you know, in a month, you're, you're excited right now, even though you're not there with the family right now. Right? There's a joy of anticipated joy. Well, take that concept, which is familiar, and now apply it to something more substantial and far more meaningful. The believer actually uh, enters into joy, the experience of spiritual joy right now at the anticipation of promised joy that is to come in heaven. So that there is a real sense in which we have a taste of heaven before we get there. We're actually tasting it. We're actually sipping from it before we ever get there. So that's, that's seeing above the, the, the trials, the joy enabling us to have strength because we're seeing above them. And I said also, faith sees, or joy sees through them in the midst of trial as well. The joy that the believer finds is in fellowship with Christ in suffering. So that in the midst of the trial, the Lord has created a context in which, in very specific and special ways, he holds intimate personal communion with his people. And so there's this joy derived from the communion with Christ at present in the middle of afflictive circumstances, right? The context may be trial, but the experience in that context is joy for the Lord's people. And this experience of joy comes in degrees like everything else, like all of the other virtues and fruit. It comes in degrees. 
you know, it can increase. So, you know, the, we, we, we pray as the disciples ask the Lord, Lord, increase our faith, right? There's stronger faith and weaker faith and so on. The same thing could be said with regards to hope. The same thing could be said with regards to fear, godly fear, right? There's, there are degrees of these things and there are degrees of joy. What is it that decreases joy? Easy, right? The children can answer. Sin. Sin robs us of joy. Disregard for the Lord, forgetfulness of the Lord, neglecting communion with the Lord, breaking his law, our mouth, our heart, our affections, all these various things. These things threaten joy, don't they? Which is why David, after his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah, when he's repenting, what is he saying? He's saying a lot of things, which you know well, but he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Give me more, Lord. Give me back what I lost and increase it. Restore the joy of, of my salvation. And so there are degrees. And the Lord gives us, even in, in, when we're walking with the Lord, in the service of the Lord, that includes love for the brethren and service of other souls. And lo and, you know, lo and behold, what do we discover? But that we receive joy from the Holy Spirit. We receive joy in the joy of others, from the joy of others. So we say no to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We, we what looks like, are, are, are losing something ourselves in the service of someone else. And that service can be manifold, right? It can be something secret in prayer. It can be in, you know, giving to them or speaking to them or whatever it is. But the believer discovers in with an eye to Christ and a heart for him and seeking to serve other souls, joy is produced in that person. And when we see the fruit of our service producing joy in them, we derive joy from it. That's the Holy Spirit at work. In that sense, joy is contagious. Joy, if, if you allow me that, right? It's something that multiplies, if you will. How often the Apostle Paul is using this, this sort of, of language. Um, one example would be in, in, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he, he says um, in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of him, I went from thence into Macedonia. And then he goes on to describe how Titus coming and Titus being filled with joy. Go to chapter 7, verse 13. He says, therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. And then, you know, when he's writing to the Thessalonians, he'll say, you are my joy and my crown." Right, he's, he's saying, my service to Christ and investment in the souls of others, this is a source of joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, the experience of joy. And so it's not something where you, you're holed up in a, you know, a little hideaway and you, you sit there and, and, and wait for joy to come. But it's in the warp and woof of the Christian life, in communion with Christ, in his worship, in the service of his name, in caring for his people. In all of these things, this is, these are the avenues 
in which the Lord, by the Spirit, brings joy to his people. And so we need to be in those avenues. We need to be running in the vein the Lord has, has promised for us. And one last thing here with regards to the experience of joy. You'll notice immediately following in verse 4, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. And so here we have a call to rejoice in praise. A call to rejoice in praise. What's, what exactly is happening here? If you, if you try to begin to break this down. Believers, I mean, the, the Bible is calling, the believe, this is a command, a duty, that we're called to praise the Lord. But the believer is choosing to direct his or her thoughts to the Lord. And in praise, that's what we're doing. We're directing our thoughts to the Lord. And in praise, we begin to adore him. We begin to worship him. We begin to extol him. We begin to, to speak to him about who he is and our delight in him and the glory that is due to him and so on. And so we direct our thoughts to the Lord. We begin to adore him in praise. That carries our heart into his presence. And it fills us with joy. The most immediate and direct way, putting all the components together, to be a recipient of joy is to praise the Lord. And this is something we choose to do. Isn't it interesting? You know, how often when you're, there, there is ne a Christian has never been in a funk while their heart and mouth is filled with praise to the Lord. The two things are incompatible. You find yourself down, discouraged, struggling, you know, groping about, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of things you can't change about the circumstances that the Lord has allotted. But there is this one thing you can do. And in the midst of those circumstances, you bow down and deliberately praise Him. And as you lift your voice, along with your thoughts and your heart, in praising the Lord, whether in the singing of his psalms or in prayer. And your thought is the thought of God, and you begin to adore him for all that he is. Lo and behold, what happens? Time spent there, the heart's lifted, the mind's clearer, and the soul begins to brim with joy in him. Because whatever else is going on in life, he doesn't change. And he is always a perpetual source of, of joy for his, for his people. And so the experience of joy, the training ground for joy, among all of these other things, really begins and ends with praise, which is why we have a book of praise that brims with joy all through it. And so it's good for us in terms of the believer in a state of grace to be much in praise. The one who is much in praise, irrespective of how they're feeling at the time. The person who is much in praise will be much in joy. Our joy will be full. The joy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Well, this helps us at least wade into the getting our toes wet and understanding what spiritual joy is. May the Lord multiply that joy 
in our own souls. Let's stand for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, O Lord, we have been told to rejoice in the Lord. And we confess, O Lord, that any sight of Thee, any knowledge and acquaintance of Thee should lead us without the need to be told. And yet in our foolishness and sin, how thankful we are to be directed again and again, to rejoice in the Lord always, at all times and in all circumstances. We confess that you are worthy, O Lord, of all of that praise and all of the honor and glory that is given by angels in heaven and men and on earth. And we pray, help us, O Lord, to understand this uh, spiritual grace of joy. And we pray that we would not only um, be content with, with tinkering with the, the, the components of joy in our mind, but give, O Lord, that we would actually know more and more of its power and strength and reality within our own souls. Deliver, O Lord, those who are outside of Christ and who have no joy in this world, and grant that they too might hear the joyful sound. And lead us, we pray, with thoughts to that end, to the, the day that is yet coming, for all who know the Lord, when we will be told, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.